One of the challenges for me in this internet-driven world is every time we embark on a new sermon series, I need to come up with a catchy title for that series so that I can post it on our webpage so people can see it and say, oh, I think I know a little bit what that's about. Uh, my my uh, mentor used to always say that the hardest part of sermon prep was coming up with a title. And he said if he had his druthers, it would, his t- every title would be God, the World, and Other Stuff. And that would be his title for every sermon. Well, that doesn't really work in, in current time. And so uh, somewhere along the way, I looked at a commentary on my shelf written by the founder of the seminary I attended. And, and the title of that commentary is Romans, the Gospel of God's Grace. And that gave me the inspiration for the series we've been on since January, and I'm call, I called it Romans, God's Grace for Real Life. And throughout this time, what we've taught, sought to do is bring the teaching of Paul from this letter and apply it to real life. And I'm going to tell you, there are days I struggle with that. There are days I struggle with actually being able to apply God's Word to real life. There are days when I struggle to believe that God can use me. Even this, at this latter stage of my career, as you would say, I struggle with that. I am pretty sure Paul had never heard of the phrase imposter syndrome. But it's real. Simply stated, imposter syndrome is the condition of feeling anxious and not experiencing success internally, despite being high-performing in external and objective ways. It's a condition that often results in people feeling like they're a fraud or a phony or they doubt their abilities. In fact, research has shown that at some time or another, 70% of us, and so I've seen numbers up as high as 75% of us wrestle with that at one time or another. It comes out in these ways. Sometimes we'll step back from a successfully completed project, a project that, that came in on time and under budget, you know, and we'll say, well, I was lucky. I'm sure somebody else could have done better. That, that might be imposter syndrome. Sometimes someone will undervalue their contributions or they sometimes will hesitate to begin the next task because this is the one where I'm going to fail. I, I, this is the one where I'm going to blow it. Sometimes we compare ourselves to those who we deem successful and know that I'll never measure up to them. I'll never be as good as they are. And our self-confidence flags. Now don't worry. This is not a psychology sermon. But I think as we look at this center part of Romans 15, and as we look at some of Paul's final words to some of the people that were his friends, other people he had never met, as we look at his words and as we look at what Paul says here, I believe in this passage, Romans 15, verses 14 to 21, we're going to find that when we really put our faith in God, we have all we need to be successful for God in the moment and in the place where he's put us. Now, hear that very carefully. 
We have all we need to be successful for God. What success looks like in God's eyes is not going to always be what success looks like in the eyes of our culture. Paul acknowledges some things in this section. He's going to acknowledge that he's been pretty bold and pretty straightforward in some of the things he's said. We've seen that, especially in chapter 14 and the first part of 15. Because Paul was concerned that the Roman church, because it was a church that was ethnically divided in a sense because you had the the Jews who had come here, but then you had the non-Jews who had come into the faith, and there was that potential for division, and he had heard a little bit about some of that potential for division, and he was concerned that they set those things aside and focus on what God had done for them. And so he was pretty straightforward because Paul was promoting the unity of the church, the oneness of So his stance now is to explain why he wrote so boldly as he's wrapping it up. And now he's talking about everybody. So in this part of chapter 15 and and even to the end, it's not about these two groups anymore. It's about who they are as one group. And I see some encouragement in these verses. I think Some of the things, sometimes you and I need to be reminded of things we already know. Things that are basic so we can get back to living out God's truth in our daily lives. So in this section, I'm going to actually begin and read a few verses beginning in 1513, which is a a transition verse. Paul finishes uh, by saying, uh, May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace of God because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul says he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles may become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul's first point, I think, his first encouragement, I would put it this way. Because of God's grace, you have what it takes. And you can actually apply that individually and collectively. He's saying to the Roman churches, the house churches, because of God's grace, you as house churches have what it takes. And you as individuals within those house churches have what it takes. Because of God's grace, you have what it takes. And Paul says, I'm convinced, my brothers and sisters. What a great word. Paul now is encouraging them. He's, not, he's, he's convinced not that they're going to blow apart. No, he's, he's convinced not that they're going to explode and, and disintegrate. He says, I am convinced. I am persuaded. I have complete confidence in several facts. I have complete confidence that those of you who make up the house churches in Rome, that you are, you have everything you need to be successful for God 
at the time and place where God has placed you. And he, he breaks it down into three things. I'm convinced that you're full of goodness. This morning I got up and I went to the kitchen and I ground my coffee beans and I put them into my coffee maker and I pushed the button so that I got that fresh ground hot coffee and I filled my cup to the brim because that first sip of coffee in the morning is so important. We were visiting our, our daughter and son-in-law, and, and the coffee that the coffee mug that I usually get when I'm at her house is one that has three words on it. The first one right near the top says, shh. And the second one about halfway down says, just a minute. And then when you're down at the bottom, now you may speak. You know, <laughs> But that full coffee cup is so important. You want that cup full. Paul, that's the word picture Paul wants you to have. You are full to the brim of what? Of goodness. What an encouraging statement to make to these people that he's been pretty harsh on. I'm convinced that because of God's work in you, you are full of goodness. That word goodness is a term that can be looked at in a variety of ways, but it appears best here to be meaning moral excellence and generosity. You're full of the goodness of God. I'm convinced of it, Paul says. And he says, I'm also convinced that you're also filled with knowledge. Different word. Not the full to the brim. The word filled here means complete. It means enough. You have complete knowledge. You have the knowledge. You have the perception you have the comprehension you have the awareness you have the ability to understand God's truth so you are full of goodness and generosity and you are complete in your knowledge now that doesn't mean they never had to learn again it means in this moment at this time where God has placed you you have the knowledge God wants you to have to be successful for God Paul says, and you are competent to instruct one another. Isn't that interesting? You are competent to instruct one another. That's a, that's a collective you there. It's like he's saying to the house church, everybody sitting there, you have the competency, you have the intelligence, you have the, you have the ability to instruct one another. We can all learn from one another. You're going to come, in fact, I was just listening to something the other day that reminded me that, you know, studying the Bible is, is yes, we want to do it individually, but we learn it best collectively. When I sit with a group of people and we're studying the Bible, we're going through things. We've done that on Wednesday nights. We're going to bring that up again in the fall. And, and someone says, you know, when I read this, this is something that God impressed upon me. And, it, and it's like, oh, I hadn't seen that before. In other words, someone instructed me. We are, and Paul says, Roman church, house churches, as you get together, probably for a meal once a week, and, and as you discuss maybe Paul's letter or maybe another letter that came, maybe John's letter, and you discuss it, you are competent to instruct one another. It's the idea, not only the, the word to instruct is not only mean to teach, to advise, to warn, to admonish, to rebuke. It really is an idea, a word of mentorship. 
You know, we are competent to mentor, to encourage, to instruct one another. And what's interesting is we know if we, we went through Romans 16, if you'll remember, we started in Romans 16. Some of these people Paul knew. He had met them. Some had been in prison with him, as he mentioned. Some had traveled with him. There were other people, though, that he didn't know. He may have known by reputation. But he's expressing to all of them that because they come together under the grace of God, that they are able to discern and help and encourage one another. By God's grace, they had everything they needed to follow God's instructions. I want to encourage you today. I believe at this moment, you have the understanding and the knowledge God wants you to have to be successful for Him right now. Like I said, that does not excuse any of us from learning more and growing more. I'm discovering the older I get and the more I learn, the more I know I need to learn. You know, I, I've, I've told you this before. We had a, a man that preached in our church back in Indiana. He had been one of the founders of an organization called the Association of Christian Schools International. He had a really, he, he stood about six, three or four. He was, you know, he was a former football player and back in the days when they didn't wear face masks. And uh, he had a really deep voice. And the one, I think the last time I heard uh, Dr. Lowry preach, he opened up his Bible and he held it out here. And he said, the more I read this book, and the more I study, the more I feel like the old sea captain who put out the depth line to find out where the, the, the bottom of the ocean floor was. And when he pulled it back up and it had run out the line and they still hadn't reached dirt, he wrote, deeper yet. And that's what I believe about the Bible. The more I read it, the more I study it, it's deeper yet. But right now, for the moment God has placed us in, we have what we need. And I want you to believe that. I believe because of God's grace in each of our lives, he gives us what we need for the moment we're in. Paul's confidence was shown in the fact that, as he said here earlier in, in verse 15, I have written to you quite boldly. Paul's confidence was shown in the fact that I can write boldly to you, Roman church, and I can remind you of this truth that you already know, and I can write in confidence because of the grace that God has shown me as a minister, he will show you. Paul says, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the God, grace God gave me to minister, be a minister of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I can only encourage you and I can only speak boldly because of what I've experienced in God's grace. You see, Paul understood something that I think we often forget. Anything Paul accomplished, Anytime anybody listened to him and put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, any house church that was ever started as a result of Paul coming to town, Paul realized it was only due to the grace of God. You know, we don't find Paul putting together a, a video, because there wasn't any available, you know, five ways to grow your church. Paul said, I... I just came and I ministered to the grace of God and he did the work. 
Paul's hope and prayer that was that anybody he talked to, but especially those who were not of the Jewish faith originally, would come to believe that Jesus was the answer. And he said, they are my offering to God. What we accomplish today, no matter how great or small we may think it is, anything you and I accomplish is by the grace of God. I would take that to your workplace. Anything you do at work, any ability God has given you, the education he's allowed you to achieve, the status you have in the company is first and foremost by the grace of God. Any connections you have with your neighbors that that are starting to build good relationships, it's God's grace that allows that to happen. And, And the fact is, because of God's grace, you have all you need for this moment in time. Let me remind you, sometimes that means you have what it takes to move forward into a new endeavor that you're not really sure how it's going to go, but you just believe God is taking you there. We were recently asked, by the way, uh, Friday, if you turn the clock back, it was August 4th, 1996, that that I preached my first sermon in residence at Pleasant Hill Community Church. I had been coming back and forth in July of that summer, but we moved here on August 1st. That was a Thursday and Sunday. And so, but when we, somebody asked, well, how did that come about? Now, when, when Charlene and I sensed that God was moving us from a place where we were comfortable where we actually owned our own house and didn't have a, a parsonage that's not ours, where we, our kids were all born there, we knew people in town, we were known in town. We, 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 you know, this was a place where we were just really feeling good. We stepped into the unknown, and it was God's grace all along that brought us to the place He wanted us. Sometimes it means that you have everything it takes to wait, to wait on God, to wait and not move forward, to wait and say, I know God's doing something, but now's the time to wait and watch. Sometimes you have everything it takes to completely change and reverse direction from where you were going. And you and I individually and as a faith community, we grow in our knowledge of God as we grow in our awareness of what God's desire is. And he gives us the grace to do that. But that's not all. Paul goes on. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except, that, except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. By the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Because of the grace of God, you have a story 
worth telling. Because of the grace of God, you have a story worth telling. We all have a story. We have all experienced different challenges and successes and setbacks and recoveries to one degree or another. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different educational experience. We all have a story, and no one's story is any more important than anyone else's story. Your story is yours, and that makes it important. Each of our stories are important to us because they're examples of how God has worked in our lives. And as a church family, when we weave those stories together, that becomes this amazing tapestry of God's work. Paul doesn't go into a lot of details here about his story. We can get it elsewhere in the New Testament. But what he reminds the house churches of Rome is that he has a story that's worth telling. And one thing that stands out in these verses from verses 17 to 21 in Romans 15 is that Paul is very keenly aware of the fact that his story is inextricably linked to God and God's work. Paul begins by stating, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. The word translated glory is a term that means to be proud of. It's a term that means to even boast or, or brag. And what Paul is saying is, is, is he can only be proud of the difference Jesus Christ has made in his life. Now, we know from other parts of the New Testament, Paul in his younger years, his name was Saul when we first are introduced to him, he was one of, if not the, rising star in first century, early first century Judaism. Paul was uh, an individual who had the background. He had the education. He obviously had the intelligence. He had the drive. Paul was going to be somebody. He was going to be somebody, and, and he was going to go out, and he was going to take charge, and he was going to wipe out this new movement that had come about that was going against all the teaching of the law and the Pharisees and, and the Mishnah and the Torah. And all of that, he was going to change it. He was taking over. And then God stepped in, and God completely changed the direction of his life. And instead of trying to destroy the new movement of God, Paul actually became one of the pillars of what would eventually be called Christianity. Paul worked to build it, but yet Paul says, all of my accomplishments, all of my understanding of the Old Testament, all of my understanding of how things work, all of my logic of being able to show from, say, Isaiah 53 forward how it looks to Jesus, all of that, all of my ability to reason with the, the synagogue uh, rulers and, and to show them who, that they're wrong, all of that is nothing if it weren't in some way used to promote Christ. Don't hear me saying you're to quit your job and go to some forgotten place and start a church or build a hospital or start a food bank. Nothing wrong with any of those things. It's not the point. The point is, as you think about your story, take a step back and look and 
what God has done for you, in you, and through you. Ask God to show you daily how you can represent Him in the place He has you in the moment. Take time to think about the people God has brought into your life. Think about this faith community and how together God has worked through us collectively. It's all part of your story. Paul says that he was leading the Gentiles to obey God. That, that was his, he said, I won't speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. And Paul says, that's the, that's the essence of what I want to do. I want to lead others to obey Christ. I, and we call it discipleship these days. Uh, see, the goal in, in learning to tell your story and, and telling it at the appropriate time and telling what God has done for you is not necessarily to get someone just to pray a prayer. It is part of being an example of how God has worked through you and guiding others to follow Him as disciples. It's part of a process to help other believers know maybe what it looks like to follow God on a daily basis. Sometimes, being part of that disciple-making process is long and arduous. It's a journey. It takes patience. It's joyful and frustrating. And we've all experienced that up and down in our own lives. And when we tell our story, we might help someone else as they're in a low point in their life. Paul says, it wasn't just me. He says, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. That's how the, 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 the Gentiles, the non-Jews, saw the work of God. They, they saw the power of God. Paul says, it's only through the power of the Spirit who did amazing things and revealing himself in amazing ways that he was able to work. And that's the same with you and me. When you look back at your story, oh, you may not have seen an actual real miracle like a piece of stone turned to bread, but you can see ways that God worked that you went, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. I never realized that. I wouldn't have been here without that. I wouldn't have been here today without that person. We have a story worth telling of God's work in our lives. But it's not our story that will change anyone. It's God working in them that will change them. Paul says, these, he says, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Jerusalem was kind of where it started for him. That's where he started out. I mean, yes, he was born in Tarsus. He came to Jerusalem. That's where he studied under Gamaliel. That's where he then eventually left and went to Damascus. And in the middle of that, that's where he met Jesus. But then he says, Elycrium, we don't know. Elycrium is probably that area in the Roman Empire that today would include Albania, north of Greece. It would include Kosovo, Montenegro. And it's not that he's since describing a circular route. He's describing, not even wanting us to think about the regions in the route, it's the point that wherever the journey took me, I wanted the focus of my life to be Jesus. I wanted the focus of my story to be Jesus. You know, we would say from you know, Maine to California, or for me it was like from, 
West Virginia to Salina, Kansas, to Chicago, Illinois, to Winona Lake, Indiana, back to Chicago, Illinois. Wherever I, my, my journey took me, I wanted the, the process to be about Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And, and, and then Paul says, and then I, I wanted to preach in those places where somebody hadn't quite gotten there yet. He wanted to be in those places where no one else had been. That was his desire. And, and he expresses that desire by paraphrasing Isaiah 52, 15. He wanted to be where someone hadn't heard so that those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Paul said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited about people who've heard. I want to go to somebody who hasn't heard. And because of God's grace, Paul had a story, a story worth telling. And because of God's grace, you and I have a story, a story worth telling. And, you know, we, but all of this kind of left me in my study. I, I got all done with this, and I asked that question I'm supposed to ask every time I finish a sermon. So what? So what? So what do I do now? Okay, so I have grace that gets me through where I need. I have, a, I have a story. Okay, great. So what? What do I do? So I want to leave you with some basic takeaway points that came to mind as I was thinking, so what? And the first one is simply this. Reflect. Take time to think about God, how God has worked in your life. Now, some of you are going to be those that can sit in a room and just reflect and think about it. Some of you are going to need to get a piece of paper and write it. It's, really, it's, a, it's a great exercise. But however it works for you, think about how God has worked in your life. Think about the way He's met needs. Think about the people He's brought alongside. Think about the opportunities He's given you. Then actively and specifically thank God for His grace in your life. Second bullet point, believe. Really believe. As God has been there in the past, He has also in the present given you all that you need in this moment, in this place, to successfully live for Him. Believe that God is there and that He's enough and He gives you what you need for the moment. Rehearse. That's our third point. Rehearse. Uh, recount your story in your heart. Just reflect on it. Re go over it in your own head because it's a story of God's grace. It's a story worth telling in the right time and in the right way. Your story is worth telling. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be detailed. In fact, it requires some tact and some wisdom that God has already given you to know how much to tell and when to tell and to whom to tell. Oversharing is not a blessing. Okay, That might find its way on a sign someday. Oversharing is not a blessing. I know, because I have the tendency to overshare. Recently, we were having a meal with some folks, and somebody was sharing a little bit of their story. And it amazed me how two sentences summarizing their story had profound impact. 
in fact, it was, not, it was a while ago, and I was still reflecting on it. And this person simply said this, and, and almost it was such a part of who they were, it, it wasn't like they, they thought about it and went, oh, this will be good. No, it just came out. And they said this, for the longest time growing up and going to church, I believed I was a Christian, but not a sinner. It was when I understood that I was a sinner that I truly came to know Jesus and put my faith in him. What a powerful story in two sentences. I was going to church and doing all the churchy things, and I believed I was a Christian, but not a sinner. That could be kind of my story, growing up in a pastor's home, being in church, I don't know, six, seven days after I was born and never leaving, as it were. You know, I, I did all the good boy stuff. I did, I mean, I, I memorized the verses and I got the Timothy Award and I did this and I did that. But it's really easy when you're doing all this stuff to think, well, I'm a Christian, I'm not a sinner. Wow, what a powerful story. Think about your story. How would you summarize your story in one or two or three sentences that would kind of define where you are? Finally, engage. Think about the people you interact with on a regular basis. Family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, people at PHCC. Ask God in His grace to allow your presence in their lives to be truly reflective of God's presence in your life. As you engage people, and you will, you'll engage them tomorrow at work. You'll engage them maybe today as you go to a restaurant. You'll engage them as we do question-answer time later. You'll engage people. Just ask God to allow your presence in someone else's life to really reflect who God is in your life. Fact is, sometimes we're all going to face times in which we feel that we are an imposter that we're not good enough or smart enough or fast enough or educated enough or whatever you want to add to that. And in that moment, we're looking at life through a distorted lens. Remember this. Today, because of God's grace in your life, you have what it takes in this place and in this moment, to be successful for God. And because of God's grace in your life, you have a story worth telling. And when we believe that, as an as a individual, but as a body of believers, we will see God work in ways we can't imagine right now. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, reminders from the, uh, the Apostle Paul here about your grace and, and your grace giving us a, a story worth telling, your grace giving us all we need to be successful for you. And I ask, Lord, that as we bring this time to a close, that we would be encouraged as we reflect on your grace in our lives, and that by being encouraged, we would find ways to encourage one another so that together, so that collectively, we can be ones who reflect your grace in every place, in every time, in every situation in which you place us. 
Oh, Lord, we know that we're not going to do it perfectly, and that's another reminder of your grace. When we fail, when we stumble, when we falter, when we don't share when we should have shared, you love us, and you give us another opportunity. Thank you for your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.